we've got to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. Our Lord, we are conscious that the words of Jesus somehow stand preeminent both in the history of your church and also for those of us who know love you and low and love you though they stand preeminent in our hearts somehow Jesus has an ability to penetrate and to speak to us and we ask that by the power of your spirit he will do that again to those of us who have known and loved you perhaps for many years, we pray that you will stir us up and give us a fresh vision of who you are. And for any amongst us who don't yet know you or barely know you, Lord, please open our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. For uh, the last 50 years at least, <coughs> the, uh, those who research these things have been telling us that there has been a steady rising tide of loneliness. Each successive generation has reported themselves to be more lonely than the last. Today, the majority of 18 to 24-year-olds report regular feelings of loneliness and associated conditions such as stress and anxiety are also at an all-time high. And understandably, this has been greatly exacerbated by the pandemic that we are still in the latter stages of. But um, <clears throat> it has been rising year on year for one or even two generations now. So although this is a bad blip, it is not something that is likely to go away. And various causes for, for this rising level of loneliness have been rehearsed in various places, actually, included by, including by me in the past. There's a, there's a rise in geographical and social mobility so that people are separated from... Uh, uh, from those they love and, uh, and, and don't have long-term relationships. Family breakdown has meant that people feel more and more rootless. The, the rise as well of social media has, has, has increased levels of, of foe, of false connectivity, so that we can feel connected in some way while we're totally alone in our bedroom, but not in a fully satisfying way. 
and indeed disconnected in a crowd because our nose is in uh, a phone. And the rise of cancel culture and safe spaces and the madness of crowds and so on has, is in part a symptom of those things. We feel uh, uh, that people who are other than us are hostile and dangerous. But it has also caused to exacerbate those things. So that as we seek to defend ourselves and put up walls and so on, we ultimately find ourselves more and more alone. Even the social groups we belong to these days, they are much thinner, much more fragile, and it often feels like we desperately cling to them, knowing that they are likely to be ripped apart in a year or two or three at most. Rather than the social networks we, we, be, we are in being a safe, secure, solid comfort for our souls in the long term. Some people have wanted to probe more deeply into those, that experience of loneliness and isolation that people feel. The philosopher Mary Midgley, in, in her book, The Solitary Self, has uh, described the, the, uh, the root cause of it um, in terms of social Darwinism, as she calls it. We all know about Charles Darwin, who, who uh, described evolution and described it as a natural process of survival of the fittest. Every creature goes around trying to maximize its own good and, uh, and therefore maximize its own reproductive ability, he said. We live in a competitive world. And more modern thinkers have gone on to describe our life as human beings in, in, in that Darwinistic kind of way. Competing with one another socially for the greatest goods in societies. Richard Dawkins is just one amongst many of those. Mary Midgley points out that that leaves us all ultimately radically existentially alone. It makes us all into solitary selves. In particular, my, my success or failure is only up to me. I have got to fight tooth and nail in this world where nature is red in tooth and claw. My success my, in, in my career, my, my success at finding a mate, my success at amassing wealth, my success in acquiring a reputation and social, social status. It is all my solitary task. Other people are either useful tools or dangerous impediments to my advance or sometimes between the two. What is absolutely certain is that I'm on my own. People feel that. Society is increasingly shaped by that view. I want to tell you this morning 
that if you believe in the God of the Bible, then that is radically, completely, and catastrophically false. I want to tell you that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, or indeed if you are contemplating trusting Him, putting your faith in Him, then what you have or will come to know is a relationship at the very root of your being with an eternally loving Father. That's the, that's the radical message of the New Testament. That, that is at least one way that the Bible articulates the gospel, the good news. And that will show itself says Jesus here in this passage in prayer. Because those who know that loving Father will talk to him. And in doing so, they will discover they are not solitary selves. They are not alone amongst the mass of opposing forces. They are loved selves, kept infinitely secure by a love more wide and deep and broad and long than they can ever imagine. When you are praying, says Jesus, you are praying to your heavenly Father. It is going to come up again in this passage, and if you've been here, you will have seen it come up again and again and again. If there is one thing that Jesus wants to teach us to, to renovate our heart, as the title of the series has, uh, has described it, to, to reform, to transform, to bring to life our hearts. If there is one thing that Jesus comes back to again and again and again, it is enjoying and knowing the God of the universe as your loving Heavenly Father. Began ba back in um, Matthew 5, verse 45. Our Father in heaven, there says Jesus, gives sunshine and rain to everyone because he loves his whole creation because when the when the sun came out after the storm this morning if you if you saw it that was that was a little indicator that was a little sign that was a little glimpse of the extraordinary faithful love that god has in fact for his whole creation or, or Matthew 6, verse 26, he which we saw a couple of weeks ago. He feeds birds. He clothes flowers in splendor. That is how much God cares for his whole creation. But especially, says Jesus, your Father loves to bless you. Your Father sees you, he says again and again. Your Father rewards you as you come to him and you uh, give your lives to him. Your Father forgives you. Your Father provides for you, he says. 
And then in verse 11 of this passage, when we pray, says Jesus, we are praying to that Father. Your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. A Christian is genuinely never, never alone. Indeed, the New Testament makes it plain that, the, that, that all three persons of the Trinity contribute to that. Jesus, since his death and resurrection and ascension, we are reassured, is with us. He promised it is us at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God mediates his presence to us by his Holy Spirit. So that God has, Romans 5, 5, poured out his love into our hearts by his Spirit. Or in Romans 8, that God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That it is... That is, it is fundamental to the whole working of God, the whole action of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that we should know and experience this relationship with God as our loving, forgiving, guiding, providing Heavenly Father. Are you feeling lonely today? Statistics suggest the majority at least have in the last week. He is with you. Are you despairing? He gives you hope that he will never leave you or forsake you. Are you confused? He promises as a, as, a, as a father guides a child. He will guide you. Are you full of secret shame? Perhaps no one else knows. He forgives you. He saw it and he forgives like the father of the prodigal son whose son comes stumbling back to him. And the father wraps his arms around him and puts a robe on him and has a feast. Are you in need? He will provide for you. Are you afraid? He will protect you. This community of God's people is nothing if those truths are not being believed and owned by us. 
It is the characteristic thing that Jesus offers us. And it is the most life-transforming thing you could imagine. It has created whole cultures of good. It has transformed churches again and again and again as people come to believe those things. And it can and will transform your heart. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Which is why we pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you, says Jesus. It is why we ask. We have to ask. That is very, very clear. Did you hear um, uh, the, the verse that Emily uh, quoted? You, you do not have because you do not ask God in James uh, chapter 4. We have to ask. He expects us to ask. Ask. It, it, is, it is part of the extraordinary privilege of being children of God who have, who have an independent dignity ourselves that God doesn't just sort of provide for us willy-nilly in everything at least, whether we ask for it or not. He does an awful lot of that. But in his relationship with us, as his children, as he wants to grow us in knowledge of him, he again and again waits for us to ask. He draws us into the drama of what he's doing in that way. And we seek. The, the, the shepherd seeking his uh, lost sheep on the hillside goes out and explores up and down and uh, in ravines and dips and valleys until he finds the sheep. The, 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 um, uh, the explorer tests the nature of the bog that is ahead of them or hacks their way through the, through the jungle. They, they, they try this, they try that they, until they uh, can get through to their destination. The person who uh, at home who has lost the remote searches high and low until it's found down the, uh, the back of the surfer. That's the, that's the kind of image that Jesus uh, wants us to have in prayer. In other words, we don't always know exactly what it is we're praying for, where it is we should be going, where, what direction we should be asking. That is the nature of the, of the human condition. We perhaps have a, a broad sense of where we think God is leading us. We know, certain, we know certain things that he has promised us, such as that he will provide us for us. But we don't know the direction, so we seek. We, in prayer, we, 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 we go down one road and we pray through it and we think about it, we reflect on it, we seek God's wisdom, or we go down another. There is, a, there is a repeatedness, there is a purposefulness, there is a determination about it, like the explorer, like the searcher. 
and at times prayer changes us as we do that seeking and where as we realize that avenue that we were praying uh, down initially just doesn't seem as good as it uh, did at first it is a naive person who thinks they know exactly what God should do in their life the wise saint said that if he thought that God was a cash register in prayer in just giving exactly what he asked at the first time he'd stop praying now No, we ask because God wants us to ask. We seek because we need to reflect and pursue to find the path that God wants us to take. And we knock because sometimes there are barriers in front of us that seem insuperable. A wall, a brick wall, we can't see over it. We cannot get round it. We cannot see how to get through it. So what do we do? We knock. The person who thinks this world is only up to them, uh, that, that, that their future is only up to them, that person will get a sledgehammer and start bashing as hard as they can. And they may or may not get through it, but they'll have caused a lot of destruction. Or they will give up in despair. It is a lonely and tough place to be if you are on your own and you meet an obstacle that you don't feel you can get over. But if you are walking with the living God, all you have to do is knock. And you know that if he wants you to get through it, then the door will appear. And it will swing open in time. So how is your prayer life? Is it just a peremptory God please bless this day? Is it perhaps just please bless my projects Lord and I'm not going to think any more of that. Of it than that. Because I, you see, the, the nature of our prayer life so often reflects what we actually think of God. And Jesus says, we think far too little of God. We can and should come to him and ask him as our heavenly father. We should, we can and should Seek urgently with him until we see the path through to the next stage of our life. We can and should come to him and knock, knowing that he can, he can turn a, the, the thickest, highest wall into an open door. He is the most potent force in your life for your future. How hard you work, how, how well you manipulate other people, the amount of money that you've got, the social station that you have, the intrinsic abilities that you have, they are as nothing compared to the powerful force 
of the living God who, if you have put your trust in him, is working for your eternal benefit. And we show that we believe it by prayer. Jesus says we can be absolutely confident in this fatherly love of God. Look at what he says in verse 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He couldn't be more strong. You will receive, he says, when you ask. You will find when you seek. It will be open to you when you knock. And then he intensifies it almost. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, to them the door will be opened. You know, if we were drawing one of those Venn diagrams, you know, the, the, the prayer and the answer to prayer would be coextensive. That's what he's saying. There will be no prayer that is not answered. None at all. <coughs> it's an extraordinarily strong statement. But Jesus says it is intrinsic to the God that he knows. And we should see that. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Many, not many of us here are parents, but uh, perhaps you can, uh, you can still imagine it. A little boy um, clamoring for uh, uh, bread, and uh, dad gives him something, and he enthusiastically bites on it, breaks a tooth. Or his sister, sitting in a high chair, dangling her legs excitedly, uh, looking forward to her, uh, her fish fingers that are about to be placed on the, uh, on the high chair. And, uh, and Daddy comes and he places down a plate with a cobra on it. It's unimaginable, says Jesus. If you then, he says, though you are evil, though you are fallen, broken, and imperfect. But you're not utter psychopaths, he is saying. If you then, though, though, though you have the normal fallibilities of human beings, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good gift, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now let, let, let's, 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 let's reflect on that for a little while and get it clear in our heads because I don't, I don't want us to hear it as sort of naive drivel that Jesus uh, um, uh, poured out but actually doesn't fit the real world, as sometimes people do. Now, the good gifts that Jesus gives us, they may be delayed. It is intrinsic in the ask, seek, knock picture. 
They don't just happen like that so often. And there are reasons for it. You know, children in the Western cultures, at least, are, are trained to say please and thank you. Indeed, if you go elsewhere around the world into cultures that are not influenced by Christianity, you won't see so much of that. And it's for a reason. Because in our Western world, children have been trained, rightly are trained, to accept that they are dependent upon the kindness and the goodness and the responsiveness of their parents. Because deep down in our culture, it was learned a long time ago, that as they learn that, they will learn to engage with our loving Heavenly Father. And they are trained to say thank you. Because it is recognized that it is a gift, a kindness, a goodness, driven by love, but nevertheless, not something that that child could earn. Because it puts them into the mental and emotional world that says, this is how I must live. This is how I should, sh should live my life. And it requires a bit of training that you don't get until you say, please. How many parents have said that? Say, please. No, there may, there, there may be delay as we learn those deep spiritual lessons with God. As we learn to ask and wait for his goodness and kindness. One of the episodes of The Simpsons, Bart, Bart Simpson says, Grace, dear God, we paid for this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And you can feel the mental and emotional world that he's moving into. Now, we may have to wait. We may, indeed, need to revise what we ask for. And God knows that. We may, even when we receive good things, not experience them as good at all. Just actually as children do, frankly. They want sweets and cake. Mum and Dad give them bread and uh, a toothbrush. John Newton wrote an extraordinary hymn. Let me read some of you the verses. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hoped that in some favoured hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? 
is in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. Those inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free, and break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayst find thy all in me. God is not a sadist. But like good parents, sometimes the things that come our way don't feel so good. I can tell you as a father <coughs> that there are times, painful times, when we need to leave our children be and let them learn. When we need to bring them even into situations of adversity. Because we don't learn much in a feather bed. We all of us here, I'm sure, are aware that we learn some pretty important lessons in adversity. So our loving Heavenly Father does not guarantee to us that we will not face difficulties. We need, actually, to, to fill ourselves with some of the narratives of the Bible to encourage us as we go through these difficult situations that He still loves us. He still has good purposes for us. He hasn't let us go. We need to remember Joseph, who was sold into, into slavery and then found himself into prison and finally realized that God had a bigger and, and better purpose for his life. We need to remember Moses, who found himself out in the desert and had almost lost his faith, and yet he became the great father of Israel's, <coughs> Israel's faith and the source of their deliverance. We need to remember the prophets, who had the most extraordinary, I hope you're enjoying Isaiah, our, our group uh, is the most extraordinary visions and wonderful um, heart-filling experiences of, uh, of God. But they endured their own troubles. And we need to remember Jesus. Jesus says, five, Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. We, remembered, we need to remember Jesus who knew God his Father, and so for the joy set before him, scorned the shame of the cross. Because he knew his father was bringing him through to some greater good. If we do not have that wider confidence, then the first trouble that we hit, we will conclude, well, those claims of God's love and his fatherly care, they were empty and meaningless and vapid, and I'm going to walk away from him. And it is not true. If you have put your trust in the living God, his love for you is unshakable, unbreakable, and will carry you through to an eternity of joy. And indeed, the very adversities that you are going through will train your heart in its deepest depths like a little child growing into a solid, confident adult that you are safe in his love. It is also important to remember that good um, may be interwoven with things which are evil. 
It is not fair to say that this uh, bad experience that is, uh, has come to me is only good. God, in his wisdom, has chosen for reasons we do not know, not yet to eradicate evil. And so, evils of long-term singleness or sickness or adverse circumstances or tragedies or disappointments, they, they come our way and there are groans for us. But for the believer, those are always groans that are accompanied with a confidence that God's ultimate purpose, God's deepest purpose, God's unbreakable purpose for us is good. Because he's our father. In Romans 8. The Apostle Paul unpacks. The gospel. The good news. And he first of all. Says that you and I will only be put right with God. Through faith in Jesus. Who died on the cross for our sins. That is massively good news. He then says that actually you and I will only be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit who does come and pour out his love into our hearts and does testify with our spirits that we are God's children. And that transforms us. And that is massively good news. He goes on to explain this this sovereign work of God where even through evil he's still in control and then he says this what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door is opened. To all things. If you are a believer here, you are the heir of all things. You are destined to be the inheritors of God's new creation. Now shorn of evil. Now shorn of the hiddenness of God. Now bathing in the light of the presence of God and Jesus himself. Now seeing fully the, the unstoppable love of God. That was shining into the darkness always. He showed it by give, giving Jesus. How will he not also along with him give us all things? And if you are not yet a Christian here this morning. Then let me say to you. Don't you want that? 
majority of people in our world regularly feel the darkness of existential loneliness. And in the world of the solitary self, there is nothing else, ultimately. But in the world of our Heavenly Father, there is something entirely different. The eternal love of the creator of the universe. And we show it. We show that we believe it. By coming to him in prayer. Let's do that. We hear the solemn words of Jesus, Lord. Everyone who asks, receives. And we ask, first of all, that you'll help us to believe that. As millions upon millions before us have done, and have come into the extraordinary freedom that those who know and believe your gospel enjoy. And now we, each one of us, Lord, ask for us. Please help us believe that. And then we ask, Lord, that uh, that faith would stand firm. Supported by the consistent evidence of your word. By the experience of millions upon millions of Christians. Lord, that that faith would stand firm for us. As we face our individual struggles. And as we ask, Lord, as we seek, as we knock, in your time, we pray. Please help us to receive, to find, and to have the door opened. Open the door for us, Lord, into that confident hope that he who gave his own son 
will, along with him, give us all things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.